Welcome to Educated Messes, a podcast to help you sift through the bullshit around work, well-being, and relationships. We'll ask questions, seek answers, and share experiences to help you navigate the messier parts of life. Because trial and error is a lot easier when we do it for you. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm Kyla, and this is part two of our little authenticity series. In the first part, if you haven't listened to that, we covered what authenticity is is to us, why it matters, and some barriers to authenticity. Maybe I should say the same definition, just so we're all on the same page here. Mm -hmm. But the definition we're working from is striving to align our actions with our core values and beliefs with the hope of discovering and then acting in sync with our true selves. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about some tools for how we might become more authentic, uh, which is easier said than done, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think in our first episode, we talked about how it's like a, a practice of how we show up in different situations. And some days it goes well and some days <laughs> it goes less well. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think the goal is to – like I don't think the expectation can be to always be like your most authentic self. I think you can try but mm-hmm. also like leaving space for yourself to have moments where maybe you are a bit more guarded or a bit different because you're just not there that day. I think that's valid. Yeah, for sure. So we'll be going through the same barriers that we went through in the first episode and yeah, kind of breaking down how we might approach being authentic in the face of these things. So the first one was we live in a society that basically tells us to not love ourselves in a lot of different and complex ways. And the tools that I had written down here and feel free to add, but the first one is basically a mindset shift. And this I got from Liz Tran's Reset podcast. She has an episode on authenticity that we can link. But basically, the mindset of same is not better, different is good, which feels really simple. But like for me, it it felt quite relevant and like powerful because sameness being good is like super colonially and white supremacy. And that's not something I want to be aligned with. So Anytime I can make something into like a little rebellion, I feel like it works for my brain. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. yeah, kind of the idea that like, where does this thought or belief that I have that same is good? Where does that Mm -hmm. come from? And how can I, you know, work to rewire that? Yeah. I mean, I think choosing to be authentic and show up in the world like boldly as ourselves absolutely is like an act of resistance against and for some folks even more than others because Mm -hmm. they're told even increased messaging and that's why I think there is space to like show ourselves grace when it's harder because there are times where safety is most important or Mm -hmm. other things like that but yes I think that the times where we are able to show up and be vulnerable and be courageous in those moments it is it is us resisting so much messaging that is telling you like be quiet be the same like hush you know what i mean yeah. and so i think yeah. i definitely agree that it's it can be for sure a rebellion yeah she talks too about how the greatest people in the world are ones who stand out and are unabashedly themselves and mm-hmm. i was talking to someone at a get together recently about this part of <laughs> i'm just like researching while i'm at parties <laughs> fair it's part of your job <laughs> yeah i'm just i'm uh working hard so <laughs> but yeah basically how the people that make history are usually kind of like the little weirdos like the ones mm-hmm. that are marching to the beat of their own drum so yeah. i kind of love that good history at least yeah yeah yes this is true this is true it could go either way but <laughs> but for me it helps me kind of embrace the feeling of like yeah maybe i am a little weirdo in some ways and maybe that's like authentic to me and and important too mm-hmm. yeah Brene brown <laughs> big surprise her name's already come up we're, th- we're four minutes in. She's here, y'all. She talks about how it is a, a revolution in the sense that like it's you saying, you know, my story matters because mm-hmm. I matter. Like full stop. 
I think Kyle and I question this all the time. It's like, who who cares what we're saying or like what yeah. our stories are? And I, the expectation I think of myself sometimes is like to be brave, but I can be brave and be afraid at the same time. Like it, it is scary to yeah. say things out loud or in whatever realm that that exists for you, whether it's like you find social media really difficult or you have to get up in front of people at work or going to a party or whatever it is where you have to show up and like be vulnerable, I think can be really scary. And I, I don't think that bravery means like a lack of fear. I think it, yeah. I mean, it sounds so cheesy. It is sort of like feeling the fear and doing it anyways, where it's like, I want to be someone who lives this way. It's a value of mine to be authentic. And therefore, even sometimes in these situations where I'd rather just like be quiet, sometimes I feel the need to express what I feel yeah. or what I think. Is that Brene Brown who talks about how bravery can't exist without the fear? Like it isn't it isn't brave if there's not fear. Is that her? Maybe. Uh-oh, fact check. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I like that a lot. Literally the first <laughs> passage in Daring Greatly, like it is so it's so impactful for me and like unfortunately, I think it's like Winston Churchill or something. I mean, it's irrelevant. Okay. <laughs> the point is, it's all about like, like, it's so easy to conform and then look at the person who's doing something different and criticize them. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the person sitting in the nosebleeds just being like, that's stupid. That's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But to be, unless you're in the ring, like unless you're in it and you're trying and you're you're showing up and you're doing things differently, you, I just your opinion is not that relevant. Like you have to, if you don't even try to, you know, exist more authentically or show up or be brave, then you can't criticize, or at least your opinion doesn't matter when you're criticizing others for being brave. I think that that's something that was so impactful for me. Where it's like it's really easy to like point and laugh. And it's much harder to actually try. And I think we talk about this in our, like, why is it so hard to try new things? Like, it's deeply uncomfortable for people to go out and do something they've not done before. And it's so easy for others to be like, ha ha, you're not very good at this or whatever. And it's like, but they're trying and you're not. So hush. This kind of feels (laughs) like what we've been talking about lately, not in this exact context, but like the like staying soft. I feel like we've been talking about a lot lately because we both have been through a lot of stuff in the past year or so. And it, it can become easy to become hardened and, and for sure, you know, just stop trying and stop, you know, yeah. Being soft and showing up and being yourself and being vulnerable because it is scary. (laughs) It's super scary and you might get hurt, but I think staying soft, maybe that's one of my new values. Maybe I'll make that into an action statement. Yeah. That also reminds me of the Maya Angelou. It's like in a an article that she is – I think she's like in an interview. And I came across it the other day where it, it sort of talks about how it's easy to just get older and to like pay your bills and do your thing and like just age. But to actually like grow up, like to actually learn and evolve and, you know, decide to take up space, like she says, it costs the earth the earth. And there's something about like, I recently had an interaction with someone where I I left being like, should I be embarrassed of how vulnerable I was in that situation? And I was like, no, because I'm trying Like I'm trying to be the most me and that requires that I put myself in situations sometimes where I think other people might listen in and be like, that was a bit embarrassing. Like (laughs) you said emotional things and this person didn't care and maybe that's embarrassing. And I was like, I would so much rather be embarrassed than like float. Like I want I want to have real connections. I want to be like, I want those things. And in order to do so, it it is an action word. And for me, I'm definitely not that good at being authentic. I'm not saying I am, but that was such a clear moment for me where I was like, I'm actually not embarrassed for for caring enough to to speak my truth in this conversation. And it sucked, but it also just like, there's something about like the, it costs the earth, the earth, where it was just like, it requires effort and that's good. And it was, that was important for me. And it was like, it was a life-changing experience to, to be honest and to 
say my truth and it did, really didn't matter what the response was. It, it was deeply impactful for me regardless. That quote to you, does that mean, because how I'm interpreting that and I don't have full context is like, because we're here and like we're taking up space on the earth, make account, live fully and, and big and authentically. Is that kind of like what that means? Yeah. So I mm-hmm. think the whole quote is like, Every human being has paid the earth to grow up, but to grow up costs the earth the earth. It means you take responsibility for the time you take up, for the Mm. space you occupy. It's serious business. And you find out what it costs us to love and to lose, to dare and to fail, and maybe even more to succeed. But yeah, I think it was just like, I don't want to apologize for wanting more like for Mm. for daring in a sense like I don't want to apologize like I don't want to be embarrassed by that anymore and I like feel big feelings (laughs) and like that's part of my experience on earth (laughs) and I've spent so long trying not to like trying to Mm. be less sensitive because to me that seems like a character flaw it's Mm. not but for some reason like I'm gonna get that tattooed on my head I swear (laughs) it it is like I want to be someone who takes responsibility for the way I exist in this world. And that requires that I sometimes be in situations where I say things and it's hard and it's, it's, it gives me the ick and I can, as Kyla would say, we can do hard things. Yeah. This is uncomfortable, but we're capable of doing hard things. (laughs) Mantra. Yes. I'm so sweaty right now. From telling just like a half-assed version of that story. Um, (laughs) Hey, Kyla, I'm feeling my feelings. I'm nervous. (laughs) I'm schwitzing. So that point was the first one. (laughs) We're halfway through the episode. But yeah, okay. Just to summarize the point is that we're in the society and it is hard. And there's a lot of messaging that tells us to act a certain way. The last thing I wanted to say on this point was that it is hard. Like, I think that it's an opportunity to practice self-compassion again. Go listen to the series if you haven't. I think that series changed my life a little bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's important to feel those feelings. It it isn't fair. It is hard. And like, as we're working on changing the world and society, which we have to continue to do, Mm -hmm. you have to feel that in order to move through it and in order to keep moving towards your values. Mm -hmm. I also think it's like, you don't owe someone... I'm like so preachy today. I am hot. I'm like hot. I'm hot and heavy about authenticity. She's fired up. I am. (laughs) But I think it's also that that saying of like you don't owe someone a previous version of yourself. Like I like that. People people are not always a big fan of when you show up authentically. You like you might confuse people or bother them or whatever it is. And there's value in that, I think, because I think it is more important for us to be in alignment with who we are from just like a like our existence, like our experience here, than it is to try not to cause a stir. You know Ruffling what I mean? Feathers. Like, yeah. yeah, nothing changes if we don't. Yeah, I do think it is like a it is uncomfortable and messy, and that's part of what's good about it. Oh, this is reminding me of a quote. Sorry, we're just like <laughs> so Let's passionate. Go. Let's go. <laughs> I think it's like a, a Buddhist quote or like way of thinking, but that life is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And I think that we often think that it's just supposed to be the good bits, but like mm. part of being a human is experiencing uncomfortable things. And mm-hmm. I think if if I'm un- experiencing uncomfortable things in the name of becoming more authentic, that feels like the right thing to do for me personally. Mm. I think you and I bumped into this like a year or so ago where we're like, we work really hard at, and I think we maybe thought we were working really hard at being happier. Mm. And so then you go, why do I still get so goddamn sad sometimes? I still have that thought. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that can be so jarring when our goal is happiness or like contentment. Sometimes it's like, well, why do I still have these moments where I, sh- you know, I'm doing, I'm ticking the boxes and yeah. life is gloomy as hell. And <laughs> I think that it is for me, what I've been leaning into more lately or trying to deeply trying is like, <laughs> I want to, I just don't want to shy away from experiencing mm. what is in front of me. Like I don't, yeah. 
I think that's for me a more comfortable goal as someone who's like very emotional. Just a, I'm just out here, a Scorpio sun, a Cancer moon. <laughs> like, leave me alone, everyone. I'm very sad. <laughs> And I'm very sensitive and I have a tough exterior and I know that's a bad thing. And hey, no bad. Hey, no bad. Okay. okay. <laughs> um misleading. But I guess my point is just like contentment is a is a tough goal for me, y'all. Mm. I just I think for me it's gonna be more like big feelings. And so I'm gonna feel things the real good ones are gonna be a joy and some of the you know, more sad ones, I'm going to allow myself to experience more relatable content. I feel like I needed to hear that today because I literally was like journaling by the ocean because I'm so melodramatic and I was like, I get lonely still and it it means I'm failing or something. It's like, oh no. I remember there are literally photos of me at like age six and my grandma lived on the beach (laughs) and there'd be all this these big like logs that had washed up on shore and I what would, I was doing <laughs> yes and I would walk along these logs and I would be like I think I thought I was in a music video oh, no. and I would <laughs> sing like I'd just like sing sad like probably I'd be like singing songs from Greece I don't know what I was listening to oh my god and I was so dramatic and it's like bitch you are six like what <laughs> What are you heartbroken about? Like, why is that me too? That's so. Maybe this is our next point. This will relate to it. (laughs) Like, I just think we gotta own some of that. Like, I that gal exists within me. Like, everyone can relate to having the iPod headphones in and being in the backseat of your car. And you're looking at the window and I'm like, I am Hillary Duff. And like, the rain, this is yeah. a music video and I will come clean. And like, oh I just, <laughs> I think that removing ourselves oh. from like wanting this, like those big emotions is not, it's not going to work for me. Yeah. I like need yeah. to be my dramatic ass self. Like it's just I who I am. <laughs> oh man. I could keep going on this. I'll, I'll make us go to the next point, but I feel, I feel you and I feel you in a big way because I think feelings <laughs> too. <laughs> Okay, so our second point, (laughs) (laughs) or the second barrier that we covered in the first episode was our brains are wired goofy. Mm -hmm. This was basically just talking about how like we're wired for survival, not happiness. And part of that is wanting to fit into the group. And that's super normal. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that this to me is another opportunity to practice self-compassion because I know the feeling of like being really concerned about what someone thinks about you and then also being hard on myself for caring so much. Mm-hmm. And that's just, that's not going to help anybody. So I think- <laughs> a double whammy. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. We're, everyone's mad at me in my head. Oh. <laughs> Relatable. But- the, the compassion piece is like, it is normal. Like, of course I feel concerned about other people. It's how my brain is wired. It's normal. However, mm-hmm. I think that it's also fair to want to like change our behaviors and thought patterns. So the first step to that, and this goes for any behavior change, is being able to name a behavior, notice mm-hmm. what you're doing when you're doing it, and also know what you want to do instead. So, and that takes practice. It takes a lot of practice. This is mm-hmm. all easier said than done. But I think a good step or tool for this one would be learning more about what people-pleasing looks like. Obviously going to plug our people-pleasing episode here. But once you can kind of like identify those behaviors, you'll become more aware of when you're doing them. And then maybe you can start to act in ways that feel more authentic. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a practice. Mm-hmm. We're growing. <laughs> Okay, another piece that came to mind even when we were recording our first part of this and sort of the way like conformity and all of like our culture works and things like that. Another big thing that comes to mind for me is like the concept of the male gaze and like the way that we show up in the world as women who are very much wired to like desire and try and fit into what we perceive men to want. Oh God, it's God, it gives me like creepy chills. It's <laughs> so com- like complicated to talk about and very nuanced, of course. But for me, I think one thing I struggle with a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to this day, maybe forever, is trying to really understand like what version of me is most me. Like, mm-hmm. I think that I look back on, you know, 16-year-old, 17-year-old Kelsey who had bleach blonde hair and so many hair extensions and fake eyelashes and 
just the whole nine yards there and, you know, went to university and I had a Victoria's Secret cheetah print duvet <laughs> and I, everything was pink. I was living my Elle Woods moment. Okay. <laughs> and I it don't was. regret yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I was doing it. And what was really interesting to me is, you know, I grew up in a town where that was not abnormal to, you know, look that way or, or like those things or any of that. And when I got to university, I existed as this version of myself and people started calling me Stacy. My nickname in my first year of university was Stacy. And the reason, like the joke was that like I was sort of like the ultimate like basic bitch. Oh like God. I <laughs> like to drink Palm Bays and I liked, <laughs> I don't know, oh, girly stuff. Like uh, she was a Taylor Swift fan. Like I don't know what to tell you. I was, this was who I was. She still is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I am. <laughs> Don't talk about today. My point being, sometimes I look back on that and I'm like, hmm, male gaze, like hair extensions, the bleach blonde hair. Like I was trying to look like a gal that I thought guys would think was attractive. And so I see that. And at the same time, I'm like, I did love Elle Woods. Like I I loved that stuff. I wanted mm. – I was girly. I was – that was the music I like. Whatever girly means. I know. I don't know. I'm sorry. But like <laughs> I, those were things that I resonated with Yeah. at the time. And for yeah. me, it is deeply challenging to unpack what of that I thought was like maybe attractive yeah. and what of that actually was – part of who I was. And I, I continue to struggle with that today. Yeah, like yeah. I, it informs the way that I show up in the world where I'm like what I wear. And I, th those things are really, they're hard to, to understand. And so, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think I, I mean, I know that I struggle with trying to figure out which version of me is most me. And, oh, yeah. and I, I know that values makes it easier. And so that is a part where like I can get behind that. But I have a lot of empathy for the different versions mm. of me that have existed. And, and I think I'm in an effort now to understand like, okay, what of that do I just like straight up love because it's like cute and I – or it's fun and I like it. Yeah. And what if it was like pay the patriarchy? <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't figured that out. I have things coming up in my yeah, head because I think about this too. One of them is um, there's this book I read. I think it's called Rage Becomes Her. Mm -hmm. Only read it if you're looking to just like be really mad for some time because, <laughs> oh my God, um, okay. but helpful book. But I think what it talks about in that book is called self-objectification and it's kind of mm. like a result of this like male gaze phenomena where we are, we'll have to fact check this, but like mm -hmm. looking at ourselves, but looking at ourselves through the lens of like how someone else would mm -hmm. look at us. And then it's like this double perspective situation where we're so not present in like who we are or how mm -hmm. we're behaving. And like, I can totally relate to that. It, oh my God, it can, you can get so disconnected from yourself because of all these different pressures. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that came to my mind. And mm -hmm. the second thing is kind of along the lines of like gender expression, which I I kind of am existing in this space where like in some ways I present like very femme and mm -hmm. I know that, but I also don't always dress super feminine and I have tattoos and I, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like this weird thing where I, I struggle with the parts of me that are expressing as more feminine because I'm like, is that because mm -hmm. I want to be attractive to men or yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like, is this something that feels true to me? And I can't speak to the experience of obviously like trans people at all, but it's a very interesting thing when you start getting into these worlds of like, what does gender affirmation mean to you and look like to you? And it is layered. And I don't know, it's like, uh, we could just yeah. go down and down and down. <laughs> well, and even when you say like, oh, do I dress a certain way to attract men? You could also say the opposite where like, so many of us have existed in spaces where like we almost want the opposite of that. Like yep, I almost yep. don't want them to pay attention to me. And totally. so sometimes am I like, am I am I being a rebel oh, right now? Like am I, I trying know. to am I trying to blend in here? And so I struggle with that too, oh. where it's like, what would I wear? Yeah, I just think it's so if complicated. I felt safe. And yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like oh. would I dress differently? 
in different situations, for sure I would because some of the messaging for me is like safety and who am I with Mm -hmm. and what's the – that's just – it's existing on planet Earth. Like I just think that's part of it. But I also think an aspect of this, which I've been seeing more and more people talk about, is that like there's also a phenomenon where the things that women typically like just get dragged through the mud. Like we make it embarrassing to be excited about things and to – give some very like typical stereotypical examples. It's just like, I feel like men are given the space to be excited about things that are like very like irrelevant to their personal lives. Like they care a lot about Tom Brady and they care about, I don't know, AeroPress coffee (laughs) and film photography and skateboarding and I don't know, sports, I don't care, whatever. Which is fine. Have Which fun. Which is great. <laughs> Everybody. But they're allowed to like loudly and obsessively mm. care about these things and no one's like, wah, 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 wah. and then <laughs> women are out here existing, caring about things that maybe typically attract women, whether it's like mm. certain music or it's pumpkin spice lattes or (laughs) like stupid stuff that doesn't matter but then we just rake them over the coals for getting excited about stuff and it's like a form of the patriarchy for sure because it's Mm -hmm. like I read this article once where it was talking about how they were questioning Harry Styles and about the fact that like does he does he dislike the fact that his fans are like young girls like that is his fan base and he made a comment just being like why is the opinion of like a 30-year-old hipster dude on his opinion on music more relevant than a 14-year-old girl? Like who decided that? Harry's like pop music is pop is short for popular. Like the Beatles, their biggest fan were young women. Like who why do we all of a sudden get to decide like oh that's not cool cuz girls like it. And I think yeah. that happens so often where it's like we don't allow And I I do think that this happens more to women where it's like we don't allow them to get excited and silly and goofy about these things that they think are fun and and cute because it's – we just decide that it's embarrassing or something. Yeah. Oh, it's hard out here. It is. Also open to feedback on these topics. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What was the third one? Okay, so this one was basically like, we don't know ourselves slash we're disembodied. Yeah, please go listen to the first one. I'm not going to go into these, what these mean. (laughs) But basically that getting to know yourself is a lifelong process that doesn't happen by accident. And we're going to keep saying this. We're going to hammer it home. You got to know what your values are so that you can figure out when and where you are and are not living in alignment with them. And like, you know live your best authentic life. But if you don't know what you're moving towards, you're just flailing around. Mm -hmm. And the tools for this one, there's like a lot of different lenses you can use to get to know yourself better. Everything has their own strengths and weaknesses. Do your own research. I really like the mindset of take what works and leave the rest. Some things will resonate with some people, but some ways you can do this are like tests. Like Brene Brown has a wholehearted living test on her website that we took recently (laughs) and did not share. (laughs) (laughs) One way you can get to know yourself better. I was looking into like the most legit personality test and apparently the big five personality test is the most scientifically validated and reliable psychological model to measure personality. <laughs> so there's an option. I have not done that. According to them. <laughs> According to well, No, it was a different source. <laughs> not. And it only costs you $150. Yeah, I know. I just, I haven't done it. Apparently it's good. We both have kind of like mixed feelings about the Enneagram. We, I think both learned a lot about ourselves through it, but it is a little dicey in certain ways. So again, like take the Mm -hmm. bits that work and use your critical thinking, everybody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if you have any other like tests off the top of your head that you've used in this way. Um, Yeah. I mean, Enneagram was a big one for me where like, yes, I learned a lot and I also I think it is this critical thinking concept where like I think people can get too deeply attached mm-hmm. to some of these things. I've actually never taken Myers-Briggs, but I know that like some people feel really mixed feelings on that yeah. as well. But then also people learn a lot about themselves and the way they show up in the world from those things too. So yeah, yeah I do think it is like 
I think sometimes there's value in being told information about yourself and then being able to go, oh yeah, I really resonate with that. Or like that really Mm -hmm. doesn't sound like me. Like there's learning just in that process as well. Totally. For sure. I just remembered. How could I forget? Attachment theory. Oh my God. I think like learning your attachment styles and how that helps you show up. Oh my God. Life-changing. My microphone is literally sitting on top of my attached book. So good. (laughs) I just made everyone in my life read it. But yeah, it's a lens. They're all lenses. Explore everybody. There's so much to learn out there. Astrology chart. Honestly, it's a lens. (laughs) It is. Okay. It is a lens. I mean, I literally just announced everyone that my sun and my moon. So like... It's I fine. mean, me and Kyla send each other our co-star messages yeah. daily. I'm like, you're not going to yeah. believe what co-star said to me today. Okay. <laughs> so, the next kind of tool under this point, which we talk about all the time, but journaling. I have two little prompt prompts here. Uh, someone reached out to us recently and was asking for some more journaling prompts, which like, that's so cute. I love that they did that. Me too. But one that worked really well for me this past summer when I was learning my values and getting more clear on my authentic self (laughs) was kind of this idea of being childlike but not childish and the prompts I was using it okay this can sound a little heavy but how old were you when your childhood ended and then who were you before then so we don't have to talk about it but I think an age will probably come to mind and then you can kind of try to like reconnect with the things that felt good to you maybe that's like walking on logs and being dramatic kind of (laughs) kind of thing (laughs) oh yes definitely how old were you when your childhood and then sorry what was the second part and who were you before then and you can journal it out just get it out of you I know right so that's one um another one which I use every day as like a quick journal reflection is what energized me today, what drained me today, and what did I learn? And I find that helpful because you'll start noticing patterns. Mm-hmm. And like usually there'll be things that like consistently are draining you and then it's a lot easier to be like, oh, okay, like maybe that's something I need to move away from or like the opposite of if something's consistently energizing you, do a more yeah. of that. I think that also ties into the point that we talked about in Self-Compassion where I had shared that I'd listened to a podcast with Jay Shetty and he was saying the difference between like pleasure and peace And I think where the energy and drains you also plays a role is it's like sometimes the easy things drain us. And so starting to recognize Mm. like when that's happening, because for me, like off the top of my head, I can think of things that drain me that are like my crutches, like scrolling on my phone or like not getting my workout in or whatever it is. And so I think it is helpful to, to sort of have record of like, when do I feel good? What's my mood like when I do these things? And what's it like when I don't? Yeah. One thing that kept coming up for me was like weed. And I was like, every time, like I get so tired and then I don't take care of myself mm. and it's all this stuff. So yeah, it's been helping me re readjust my relationship with my yeah. coping mechanisms. Well, I mean, alcohol is such an interesting one as well, where my relationship with alcohol has changed a lot over the past couple of years. And I think that alcohol can play a nice role in celebration and it's very much like you know there's a lot of like culture and tradition around the way we celebrate and a lot of it does involve alcohol in some ways for some people but what I think is so interesting too is for me it's like I so easily can recognize that like some of my worst moments were made worse by Mm -hmm. and it wasn't even like I had not that it matters but it wasn't even like I had a really really difficult relationship with it but my ability to cope with the after effects and with the way it made me feel the loss of control all of these Mm. things it was like there's information there and like Mm -hmm. if I continue to neglect the constant stream of information that comes from this experience Mm -hmm. every time it happens like what am I that's like disembodiment too that's a pattern yeah yeah I I just think it's so interesting is like how long are you going to keep telling yourself that (sighs) this isn't the story when uh, it's right it's right in front of you oh yoish yoish so journaling also yeah let us know if you want us to do an episode on on journaling if that would be interesting kyla suggested we would just read our journals out loud (laughs) oh my god just end our whole whole lives (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're not okay (laughs) (laughs) 
podcast has been canceled. Yeah. Sorry, gotta go. Yeah. Okay, so another tool under this point, which again, we don't know ourselves, is the barrier that we're talking about, is getting in tune with our bodies. So we were talking about this in the first part of the series that I personally like didn't know what my feelings felt like and the information that they were trying to give me until I started going to therapy. I my therapist does somatic therapy, which is like very much about like being in your body and kind of learning what messages your body has for you. Because I think there's a lot of wisdom in these like systems of our body that like tell us what is and is not working. And something I wanted to say about this is when I reached out on Instagram about if anyone had any thoughts on authenticity, one person said, yeah, like how do you know what's authentic to you and what's just societal messaging? And for me personally, I think it's like you have to tune into your body because like you're the only person who has those answers. And there's so much noise out there that unless you can kind of receive that information, yeah, we're just reacting mm-hmm. or acting out scripts and mm-hmm. it's, it's easier said than done. I feel like I always need to say that. Like this has been yeah. years, years in the making. <laughs> I also think it changes. Like Sometimes I think it's easy to try and say, okay, who was I at this point? And is that a more authentic version of myself or am I more authentic now? And it's like, we also just like grow and change and our interests and our hobbies Mm -hmm. change. Like, I don't always look back at the person I was when I was younger and go like, oh, you were being inauthentic because you were doing X, Y, and Z. And I don't like to do that anymore. But more just like, oh, those were things that gave me energy then that yeah, no longer yeah, totally. do. Yeah. So it's like paying attention to that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that it all plays together in my mind because we were talking about this as like it changes over time. But when you're in tune with yourself and you can start noticing like, oh, this thing used to feel good and now it doesn't anymore. That's when you can kind of, you know, you adjust and you you stay authentic instead of being like, I like this thing and I'm always going to like it and this is yeah. who I am. And then like, you know, yeah. it just... Because it might not. It might stop working. And and that's okay. We can change. We're allowed to. I think that's like the flaw with so many of these personality tests, or at least the flaw with the way that they're interpreted, is that the whole like, I okay, I am who I am. Like, Mm. I worry sometimes with these things, like, for example, with the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 8 according to – or I identify as an Enneagram (laughs) 8 according to my tests, Mm -hmm. which means I'm – it's called the challenger. And it means that, you know – you're bold and brave and you're also can, you know, be a bit abrasive and these different things. Like there's pros and cons to these things. And I think the part that it gets sticky is where you go like, well, this is who I am. And so it doesn't matter if it, if you don't like it, then you know what I mean? It's about remaining open to the feedback from people saying like, I didn't like when you did this or this wasn't very fun or whatever it is. And it's like, I think even telling ourselves stories over and over again about who we are, it sometimes becomes really incorrect. Like, yeah. yeah. Even if I had taken like Myers Briggs when I was younger, it would be so different than now. And I think sometimes we get attached to these ideas like, okay, I'm an introvert or I'm an mm-hmm. optimist or I'm a challenger, whatever it is. And it's like, we evolve and like yeah. the mood you're in when you take one of those tests would also deeply affect it. Yeah. You and I were just having a conversation. I always come back to this advice that my friend Riley gave me once where it was like, who told you this? This mm-hmm. this story that you're telling yourself, like who told you this? Is it true? Like has someone spoken yeah. this story to you? And so often when we ask ourselves that question, it's like no one. It's it's a story, or it's like way in the past somewhere. Yeah, like or it's that it. person. Yeah, that... one person, one time <laughs> who sucked. <laughs> exactly, and it's like sometimes we hang on to these things and we tell ourselves like, "Oh, this is me. I'm this type of person." And it's yeah. like we can receive so much information that's like counter to that. But once mm. we've decided that, we 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 can get really pigeonholed into believing we are a certain way and it's like just yeah. not it's not objectively true yeah, yeah. this happened you to you and I s- the other day yeah I was gonna say are you gonna bring up this story so I was just venting to Kels about some things that were going on in my life and she pointed out these stories that I have about I feel like I want you to say it because you were you said it yeah. so well <laughs> I didn't want to tell your story but like oh no tell my story. <laughs> let's do this 
absolutely, I think this happens where like I have people in my life who I see in so many, like I see them exist in work and in friendships and in relationships and you're, you see them a certain way and then they'll state things about themselves. So like Kyla and I are having a conversation. How specific do you want me to be here? You can be specific. (laughs) Okay. And she was sort of sharing these stories she had about herself, like, I'm not very independent. Or like, I just this story about maybe needing people more than Mm -hmm. is... Yeah, being needy or too much. Yeah. 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 And I'm just like, (laughs) I can't... It's hard for me to express to you how far this is from what's true in real life. Like, I understand deeply that this is a story that has been reinforced, but it's just not true. Like Kyla's one of the most independent people I know, like enjoys solitude, has tons of hobbies, exists in the world on her own two feet, has a very, you know, strong career. I'm like, I, it's (laughs) sort of like my Costco fiasco where it's like, (laughs) sometimes it takes someone just being like, I know that this is something that has been reinforced in your life and I see you a lot. I'm not like a, I'm not a subsidiary person in your life and (laughs) you're not someone who depends or relies aggressively on others. And (laughs) it also wouldn't be a bad thing if you were someone who wanted to be more codependent, but it's just interesting that you're not. And yet you've assigned yourself like a character flaw that is, it doesn't exist. That was the kind of one of the last points on this getting to know yourself thing is like talking with your friends about this kind of stuff and helping them parse through like what's a story, what's mm-hmm. actually something that I see from you. And even if it's like you are acting in ways that people see and maybe you don't want to be that way, like it's a good opportunity to just kind of like get grounded in reality because again, all of these things are action statements so <laughs> we can adjust our behavior even if we have these stories and start living living in a way that feels good and authentic to us. Oh, we're going over time. We're just so passionate about this topic, but <laughs> yeah, I think in like the same way when we talked about self-compassion where one of the barriers is that like you, you know, you want to be someone who's driven and disciplined or hardworking, whatever it is, and you're afraid that if you're too self-compassionate that those things will go away, but it was about the intention behind it changing. I think the mm-hmm. same is true for authenticity where it's like if I go into situations with the goal of being liked <laughs> mm-hmm. or of of approval, the goal of approval, um it's not going to go well <laughs> for me. <laughs> it's just it comes back to this whole like very basic concept that like you're not for everyone like you just aren't and that's okay Mm -hmm. and so as opposed to going into it with that goal if your goal is just to be authentic or just to be in alignment with with who you are then the result is up for their decision like it's not yeah we're we're less attaching ourselves to what the result is and more about the way that we show up because that's all we have control over is mm-hmm. the way that we behave in those situations and so yeah I'm so far from being good at this but I think for me a lot of my fear comes from like I wonder how I came across that situation and it's like also interesting that you seem to have a story that you're not good at being authentic <laughs> Just like true. If we're doing this, like that's not how I see you at all. Like it's oh, so interesting. You. Like yeah, yeah. I don't know anyone who's like more loudly themselves and and like shows up in ways that oh my like, god make me they cry. love you know. Oh, oh we're so my cute. God. <laughs> I love you and oh. <laughs> yeah. I think that. <laughs> You threw me, you threw me <laughs> off with your kind words. Yeah. But yeah, I think that for me, a goal is just to worry more about like how I feel about myself in those mm. situations because I really like, I we don't get to decide how people interpret us. It's based mm. on the way that they exist Ugh. in the world also. Yeah. Everything's just, everyone's just in their own little heads and their own little stories. Oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) We're floating around in different realities. So (laughs) the last little tool here is read some books. We both have read and talked about Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, Brene Brown's book, The Gift of Imperfection. I think those two were 
like kind of catalysts to this like becoming more authentic and listening mm-hmm. to I think Glennon calls it your knowing like your your intuition mm-hmm. all that and being a cheetah be a little cheetah be a cheetah girl <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that I we're, we're over the time we meant to be because we just love this so much apparently but mm-hmm. yeah let us know if an episode on like how to figure out what your values are would be interesting or on like the journaling thing yeah and and let us know your thoughts on this because it was a way beefier topic than I personally expected mm-hmm. I thought it would just be like I don't know. For some reason, I thought this was going to be an easy one and it ended up being a pretty complex. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think there's like so many different barriers that different folks deal with when they try and approach it. And so, yeah, would love to hear what people think. And if they have feedback or questions or anything, we're always, you know, firm opinions loosely held is the vibe. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're down to be wrong about things, but... Yeah. yeah, come I chat with it. us on Instagram or send us an email like that sweet, yes. sweet pal did. <laughs> yes, educatedmesses at gmail.com. We got a love letter. We haven't stopped talking about it. It's <laughs> your first one. <laughs> we're not great at replying to the emails because no one emails us. But We did read it though and we were so yes. happy. <laughs> so please feel free to email us. But yes, and also all the classic things. On Spotify, if you're still there, it's okay if you're not, but if you are, you can (laughs) like, now you can um, rate podcasts there as well. So of course Mm -hmm. that really helps us. And on iTunes, you can, or Apple Podcasts, you can rate, subscribe, leave a comment, all of those things, you know, just help us continue to do this because we want to. (laughs) Yeah. And if you think it'll help other people, then tell them Okay. We did it. We did it. No hiatus this time, baby. (laughs) No. All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right. Time to check some facts. Nice. And I have my uh, good mic this time. I don't know if you listened to the fact check in the last episode, but oh my God, (laughs) it was rough. (laughs) (laughs) We made it through. (laughs) Okay. There's actually quite a few for this one. I mean, quite a few by our standards, I feel like. Okay. First one. Coming out of the gates here with I talk about the passage at the beginning of Daring Greatly. Mm. And I say that it's by like Winston. I think I say Winston (laughs) Churchill, which like, you know, old white dude. I feel like it was an okay (laughs) guess. Uh, It's actually by Teddy Roosevelt. And it's from a speech called Citizenship in the Republic. But the speech is sort of more commonly known as the man in the arena. And so I just wanted to read sort of, yeah. The man. The woman in the (laughs) arena. (laughs) So I wanted to read sort of the passage that is at the beginning. It's fairly short, but it says – It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. So yeah, kind of war vibes. <laughs> but <laughs> war vibes. <laughs> if we don't think about, you know, the war vibes, then you can... And the gendered speech of only men <laughs> are invited. <laughs> well, they're the only ones that can fight in the war, you know? But that's a passage from it, and Brene uses it, and obviously in that speech he says daring greatly, so it's how she starts the book. But in our episode, we were talking about how, like, if you're trying and you're putting yourself out there and you're making an effort, then you shouldn't really worry about the critique of those that are maybe hiding behind like a persona or who aren't even trying to be authentic because their opinion is maybe not as relevant to you as someone who is also trying, I think is like the the takeaway that we yeah. took from our an authenticity perspective. Yeah. Did we say this in this episode? The don't accept criticism from someone you wouldn't <laughs> accept advice from. Like it, it comes up a lot. That one that was the last episode. Yeah, except I always ruin it by bringing up Kanye. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <He did it> again. <laughs> I have to.
I have to, Kyla. <laughs> okay. Yes. So that's that. And then you mention life is 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. And you say like, I think it's a Buddhist quote. And it is. It's like a, apparently it's like quite a famous Buddhist perspective, which has, I heard, like I read somewhere when I was looking this up that in Buddhism, 10,000 is like innumerable, like it's almost infinite. So the mm-hmm. concept is sort of like, life is full of like immeasurable joy and immeasurable sorrow. And it's almost like more of a 50-50, like 50% joy, 50% sorrow, as opposed Mm -hmm. to what a lot of people think that, you know, life should be so easy and happy and we should, you know, channel joy and good vibes only. It's more (laughs) how do we respond to the joy and the sorrow because they both exist type thing. So I, you know, I'm definitely not an expert in this area, but that was sort of the information I got behind that quote or that that sort yeah. of um, idea. Yeah. When I was listening back this morning to the episode, I really liked how you were talking about the goal or like your personal goal now being to kind of just like experience what is here mm. versus like, I think we've talked in the past of the goal being like, instead of happiness is contentment, but I don't know. I feel too like I've kind of gone past that where it's like even contentment is like almost like a positive side Mm -hmm. vibe where it's like, yeah, that's definitely not the experience that I always have. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to sit in all of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so hard though. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. It's so interesting. Someone gave me a compliment the other day that had something to do with the idea of contentment. Like they thought that I channeled that well. And I remember being like so honored (laughs) by that (laughs) comment, but also being like, that's not really how I would describe myself. Like I, to me, I think contentment and peace sort of like are similar in a sense in my brain. Like I want to be someone who appreciates the little things. It makes me think of contentment kind of makes me think of joy triggers, like the simple things Mm. bringing you like a certain level of happiness. And so that I totally agree with. But I think what I don't agree with is, yeah, this sort of like, to me, sometimes when I think of contentment, I almost think of like a a line, like a plateau. It's almost neutral. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, if you spent a day in my head, you'd not be like, this gal is content. Yeah, relatable. (laughs) And so I think like I like the idea that I channel it. But yeah, I think for me sort of if I stayed too much in pursuit of that, it would be sort of at odds with the way I experience different things. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) Me neither. Okay. So (laughs) the other thing I wanted to kind of call out in this is – I use the word girly twice. And as I'm using it, I even make a comment being like, ah, it's not really what I mean. And like, definitely don't want to offend anyone with the use of that word. And I'm really open to feedback on if anyone has an idea of sort of maybe what I'm trying to say there. And so Kyla and I chatted about it a bit. And I think what I was talking about is these different things that are typically marketed towards women or even towards young women. And so I was making sort of a comment about, I don't know, Harry Styles and Starbucks and workout classes and, you know, things that are maybe even stereotypically like marketed towards young women. But I definitely don't feel like girly is the right word. So yes, I'm just like (laughs) calling myself in on that. I did look into it today to kind of try and figure out a better word to use there, but I wasn't really able to find something I felt like actually was sort of hitting the nail on the head. Yeah, it's really like gendered to in a way like maybe an accurate way to say it would be like things marketed towards people who are socialized as women from a young age. Yeah. I guess. But yeah, definitely open. Like language is important yes. and also changes all the time. So, yeah, if anyone uh, has thoughts on that, mm-hmm. let us know. Definitely. Always keen to learn more about that, but just wanted to sort of add some nuance there around the fact that I know that wasn't quite the right word. And so I'm open to learning from there. But yeah. So kind of bouncing off of that, I talk about a article about Harry Styles. (laughs) I don't know, an important icon for us here. So I (laughs) I just wanted to give more context to the interview I was talking about. So Harry Styles did an interview with Rolling Stone. And this was the interview where he was talking about how 
like who's to say that young girls who like pop music have worse musical tastes than a 30-year-old hipster guy? He says, this is a quote, that's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young girls like the Beatles. Are you going to tell me they're not serious? He goes on to say, I mean, this is kind of maybe a little bit cheesy, but also like we need more people like Harry, I think. But he says, how can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future, our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you and they tell you, which is sick. <laughs> which is the quote. <laughs> so I just wanted to specify where that was coming from because it came up in this conversation just around like how these um, things that young women <laughs> – here I go again – these things that are typically marketed towards young women sometimes are like, oh, people don't really take young women seriously. And yeah. his point is sort of like, what is that? And probably we know what that is maybe, but just an interesting perspective. You know, it's also kind of an interesting thing about Harry Styles that I don't think this is my original thought. I think I read something about this, but <laughs> how Harry Styles leans into a lot of more like feminine in air quotes things like yes. the way he dresses and yeah. like painted nails and the cover of was it Vogue with the yeah. the dress. And when he does it, it's like celebrated. Yeah. But these are things that <laughs> for like, sure you know, are, are, are seen as more feminine. And then when a man does it, it's like, okay, you don't deal with the oppression of, For of sure. being like a feminine human, but you get the, you know, the glory of, yeah. you know, being like, oh, you're so brave. It's like, okay. Yes. But I love Harry Styles, but just something to think about. <laughs> we digress. We digress. <laughs> okay. So the other thing that came up was um, self-objectification, which you brought up. Okay. So the sort of definition I was able to get for this, and I didn't have the book about it, so I'm literally using like some <laughs> sources that I found via Wikipedia, so bear with me okay. here. But um, self-objectification is when people view themselves as objects for use instead of as human beings. And self-objectification is typically the result of objectification. So it's commonly discussed when we're talking about like sex and gender. And while both men and women struggle with self-objectification, it's commonly, more, more commonly seen among women. And it's sort of this psychological process where women start to internalize or people start to internalize other people's objectification of their bodies that results in them like constantly critiquing and criticizing their own bodies. It's really interesting to be honest, like even the little bit I was reading about it, it talked about how there's like a media interaction and a social interaction that factor into this cycle of like self-objectification mm -hmm. being perpetuated. And so like the media is sort of obvious. It's like women on billboards and music videos that are like photoshopped and all the <laughs> massive gamut of other things that go into putting someone on a mag front of a magazine. But the other thing I thought was really interesting was social interactions is the other side of it. And that's the way that we communicate with others subconsciously. And there's two types of appearance-related communication that have an effect on the existence of self-objectification. And one of them is called fat talk and one of them is called old talk. And <laughs> yes, and it's fat talk is coined by this person named Mimi Nichter, and it refers to the way women constantly make comments about their own weight, dieting, exercising, things like that. Like common, even the examples oh. they give here are like things that we hear in regular every day, I'm sure probably. And old talk is like people talking about wrinkles and and physical aspects of the natural aging process. So women being dissatisfied with their bodies and, and actually talking about these things. And both this like media aspect and the social aspect play a big role in perpetuating these cycles of it because you're just constantly engaging with this information that hmm. causes us to have like such an unrealistic standard of what we think we should look like. So, I mean, that's just – Thought that was really interesting, but just sort of scratching the surface also. Goddamn. Terrible. And then the last thing that I wanted to fact check was <laughs> I had to call in my friend Riley for this one. So 
<laughs> I have misquoted Riley on this probably, I'd say four <laughs> to six times in the span of this podcast. <laughs> I quote the advice she gives me all the time. And today I texted her and I was just like, can you just give me that advice from the top <laughs> again? Because I'm I'm not doing it quite right. So it's this idea, and I bring it up in this podcast, about the story. It's sort of about the stories we tell ourselves. So I'm, I'm going to stop saying what I think it is, and I'm just going to read this text. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so R- Riley says she first heard about it when she read this book called Achiever Fever, and it's the system of self-inquiry called The Work by Byron Katie. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, I think we've I think we did look into it more at one point. Mm-hmm. So the first step is to identify a painful thought or a specific worry about a story you're telling yourself. So a, a relatable one I think is like all of my friends hate me <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> and then the next step she says is to ask yourself these four questions. Number 1, is it true? Number 2, can you absolutely know it's true? Number 3, How do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And number four, who would you be without that thought? So obviously when you're all riled up, you would be like, yes, it's totally true. All my friends hate me. But but then the next question is like, okay, the only way I could know for sure is if I sit them all down and ask them and they all tell me the truth, which like I'm probably not going to do (laughs) because I don't like (laughs) conflict, lol. (laughs) But then the third one is recognizing like with that thought, I am paranoid and resentful and just not very fun, haha, and less likely to be a good friend to others. But without that thought, I could relax and try my best to be a good friend and not base my worth on how other people feel about me. And she also does this other thing called the turnaround process, which is the Byron Katie thing. And essentially, you take the original statement and you turn it around onto its opposite. So there's something else called the turnaround process, where you take the original statement and turn it around to its opposite, and you come up with three statements that are as true as the first one. So you just see if there's other versions of stories that have just as much chance of being true as that one. So potentially positive things like maybe all of your friends love you. (laughs) And then she says this other piece of advice she has is that if you do have these bad, you know, thoughts or a worry and you think it about yourself, you would ask yourself, who told you this? And then you would look for evidence proving the opposite. So like if you were in university and you thought you were an awful student and none of your professors or classmates were telling you that and it was just in your head, then you could look at the facts that prove the opposite. So like good test scores that you were on track to graduate, things like that. So the point being of just like inspecting these thoughts we have about ourselves, which I think also kind of leads into what you wanted to talk about too, about yeah. like so much of our our feelings mm-hmm. not always giving yeah. us the best information. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's really good advice and totally ties into I wanted to clarify a little bit on the like being embodied point um, and like knowing how to feel your feelings. And the step after that, I think is pretty important too. And I wanted to just be clear that like, I'm not an expert in this, obviously, and I have struggled and continue to struggle a lot with big feelings. I think we both experience that. And the clarification I wanted to make is that feelings are not facts. It's really important that we know what we're feeling and know the information that they're giving us because they they will not be ignored, but we don't always have to act in alignment with the feeling that we're feeling, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I actually just read a book called Your Head is a Houseboat. And it's like a really kind of simplified, fun book that talks about mental clarity. And it talks about how you might feel away or like think certain thoughts because of any number of reasons, like a core belief that doesn't serve you anymore, or past experiences or traumas or cognitive biases that are just wired into our brains. So yeah, it's important to just recognize that like we can feel things and they might not be completely useful. But also a mantra that has helped me in this type of stuff is what we resist persists, um, which kind of just speaks to the fact that like if you try to ignore or push down your feelings, they're just going to get bigger and demand attention. So it's important to know how to feel our feelings and move through them so we can move in the direction of our values. And I think we're going to have an episode both on how to feel our feelings soon and also maybe on how to like find and act in alignment with your values. 
But one little tool I wanted to give, which was in my DBT workbook, which is Dialectical Behavior Therapy, is REST. It's an acronym. So if you're ever feeling like a lot of things and you don't really know what to do, it uh, it advises to relax. So like get yourself into a state where you are not activated evaluate. So like, what are the facts about the situation? Set an intention. And that's kind of an opportunity to be like, how do I want to show up in the situation? And that's a good spot to be like, what are my values here? Like, what kind of person Mm -hmm. do I want to be? And then the T is take action. So then like act in alignment with those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just wanted to clarify that uh, just because you're feeling something like just because you're feeling (laughs) angry doesn't mean you have to like act out in anger (laughs) type of thing. Wait a minute. Hey, wait. <laughs> but what if I want to? Yeah, we can sometimes. <laughs> no. <laughs> a little bit? <laughs> it's hard. Anyways, okay, so that was the one thing I wanted to clarify. And then another thing I wanted to clarify, and I don't remember the exact context of what I was saying about this, but it's something about like it's a privilege to show up authentically in different spaces. And mm-hmm. I just want to be very clear. And this is kind of from a gender sauce Instagram post, which I love gender sauce is one of my favorite accounts. But mm-hmm. they were talking about how basically, I think people often come to them and say like, when they're posting things, it sounds very privileged. But what they were saying is that it is a worthy and meaningful pursuit to seek joy and rest. And in our case, authenticity, even within the context of oppressive systems. And I would even say like, especially within the context of oppressive systems, they were saying that naming what humans deserve and what we can strive for is an expression of our humanity and that it actively decries what we are given in our current oppressive systems, which is important and acting like it's a privilege to imagine a better future is helping nobody. And I like that. Interesting. Acting like it's a privilege to imagine a better future is helping nobody. Yeah. Everything is imagined, you know? <laughs> we gotta imagine better stuff. coming soon new podcast episode existential crisis <laughs> oh god amazing that's it for me the other point i had was just that this is so hard and i'm still like even after yeah. learning all of this i'm still struggling with this and good luck everybody <laughs> <laughs> This could be like a 10-part piece. Yeah. You know what we'll do? We'll revisit it in like, I don't know, 6 to 9 to 12 months or something. <laughs> okay. and we'll, we'll check in about how it's going. Okay, one last thing on the topic of authenticity. Okay. I watched Turning Red last night. Have oh, you yeah, seen yeah. It? No, but I want to. Oh, my God. Yeah. I open mouth sobbed for like <laughs> the majority of it. But it, it talks about authenticity a lot because it's kind of about like – not giving up the parts of ourselves that make us different and mm-hmm. who we are. But if y'all have not seen that, buy Disney Plus. <laughs> this is a Disney Plus ad. And watch that movie because it's also based in Toronto, which we never I've never seen a Pixar movie where there was oh, there was Timbits in it. And I was like, Canada. <laughs> the director and writer and like creator is from Toronto. So that's why. But it's such a good movie. I love Pixar just really, they like to like take digs into our souls, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, they really yeah, get it. It worked. Cool. It worked. Can I have your login? <laughs> For sure. Nice. I'll just post it on Instagram, yeah. everyone. Help yourselves. Password on Kelsey's story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's the password I use for everything, probably. <laughs> Just kidding. My cybersecurity is tight. <laughs> okay. Uh, is that everything? Yes. Okay, cool. Bye. <laughs> Bye. 